Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you need anything from the podcast or would like to suggest a future guest, please email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. Welcome to another episode of MedTech Money powered by Project MedTech. This is a special series by Project MedTech where we have partnered with Mr. MedTech himself, Giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the MedTech space. In this episode of the podcast, Giovanni's guest today is Ash Atia, CEO of Bionic Vision Technologies. In this episode, Giovanni and Ash discuss his journey in the medical device space, being an entrepreneur in Australia, the med tech scene in Australia, and more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Ash Atia. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. So Ash from Down Under in Sydney, Australia. I'd love to say thank you for being here. It's a pleasure for you to take your time out of your very early morning to join us. And while we're winding up down here, I'm in Florida, so it's the end of my day here, but I wanted to say thank you for joining and also give a little bit of context as to why this podcast even exists and why we're here together. So I've talked to thousands of med tech entrepreneurs and investors around the world. And glad to say truly around the world with you being down all the way in Australia and me being here in Florida. And what I've discovered is that there's no silver bullet or spe specific formula on how to raise or invest capital in med tech. And so my goal here is to extract insights and anecdotal stories from entrepreneurs and investors like yourself to help those who can benefit from the information and for generations of entrepreneurs to come. So what I imagine this audience being is a mixture of experts and novices who have been there and done that or raising money for the first time. And what I wanted to do is extract your stories and insights and advice so that we can share with what I imagine that first time founder or even CEO who has no clue what lies ahead on their journey of raising capital. And I thought the best place to start was learning from experienced professionals like yourself. So the reason why... I wanted to have Ash on here for the audience to hear is really um, to get a perspective of what is it like to be a med tech entrepreneur physically based in Australia, what goes on in Australia that's isolated to Australia and what someone like yourself, Ash, has to look outside of Australia for when it comes to building a med tech startup or more specifically, even raising capital. So before we get into that story and also even who you are, Ash, and We'll talk more about the company that you're leading right now, Bionic Vision Technologies. I wanted to start with two open-ended questions for you. So the first one is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Thank you very much, Giovanni. And uh, uh, to begin with, I'd like to, again, thank you very much uh, for, uh, uh, for your invitation and Project MedTech and what they are trying to do in terms of assisting uh, uh, and, and putting out information that is very helpful uh, for people that uh, are going through this journey of, uh, of uh, raising capital. 
uh, and it is absolutely a journey. Uh, so thank you very much for having me. Uh, very much appreciated. And thank you very much also for uh, all the assistance uh, all throughout the last at least uh, few months that you and I have been in contact together on a, on a number of things. Uh, really much appreciate you and your whole team. Uh, do I believe that people and money are the, are the lifeblood? Uh, I absolutely do. And by people, uh, I mean their ideas, their expertise, uh, uh, mistakes that they have made, uh, and successes that they have achieved. Uh, that is clearly a, a very significant uh, a part of uh, raising money and the ability to really put that money into medical technology development and commercialization. Uh, that is the lifeblood. There's, there's, I can't think of anything else other than uh, the, the ideas and the entrepreneurship and the, of course, the finances that will support these ideas and, uh, and uh, uh, be very important into commercializing these ideas into something for so, so many millions of deserving patients around the world who are, of course, A, debilitated by many, many diseases uh, or even be diagnosing uh, and and uh, and 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 uh, predicting and looking at ways of uh, you know preventing certain diseases in in fact uh, and providing a viable treatment. So uh, that's has always been the case, and I continue to believe that. Thank you for that, Ash. I, I fully believe you as, as well as support your notion that people are super important. And obviously you need money to be able to go far, farther and, and take people places. But if it wasn't for the people, then you have nothing to begin with. So thank you. Um, the second question regarding yourself specifically is you've obviously had a career that you've built that led you to become CEO of Bionic Vision Technologies in Sydney, Australia. And we're going to hear about that journey and who you are right after this. But what I wanted to ask you is if you knew what you know now about being a med tech entrepreneur, would you do it all over again? Why, why not? Or what would you do differently? Oh, I absolutely would do it all over again. <laughs> uh, and, and no question in my mind. I, I, uh, my last 35 years of, uh, of experience has been with class three uh, implantable devices in the field of uh, cardiac, cardiac surgery, uh, you know, implantable uh, pacemakers, implantable defibrillators, heart valves, heart transplants, heart failure uh, with lift ventricular assist devices, uh, orthopedics, uh, uh, diagnostic sensors, etc. cetera. It, it is all all has been for uh, uh, getting up in the morning and having passion because I knew that every day I and the team I'm working with uh, is doing something to save people's lives uh, at the very, very uh, uh, least and uh, providing a much better quality for uh, people's lives who have been 
struck down by debilitating uh, diseases. I would do it all over again, um, uh, w w without a doubt. Um, and uh, and I'm really been privileged that for decades, um, this is what I've been associated with. I haven't been associated with anything but that. Uh, it's all I know. Uh, and I don't know uh, everything there is to know. Uh, and I profess that I'm learning every single day. Uh, but one thing for sure, when I see uh, a patient that has received any of the uh, devices that I've been associated with, for example, and see what it has done to their lives and their, uh, uh, the people around them, uh, I, I, I can't think of a better feeling uh, that, uh, you know, really that anyone would get uh, from that. Wonderful. Well, it's, it sounds like quite a, uh, an impressive career, first and foremost, but also a valuable career. So, and, and you alluded to not only what you've been involved with in terms of the class three implantable side with bionic vision technologies, but your, even your previous career. So that leads me to my, my next question, which you probably know the best. Who is Ash and how did Ash get here today? Well, thank you very much. Uh, from a professional, from a personal perspective, Ash is just a, 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 a normal average person who is, uh, you know, who is, uh, uh, you know, I'm married. I have uh, three wonderful adult kids uh, that have gone into um, um, uh, hopefully different things than what I have with the exception of one. So one is medical science uh, graduate and uh, and uh, uh, a law uh, student now, that's a second degree. The other one is a law student and, uh, and civil engineering construction uh, course. And the other one is into uh, public relations, communications and marketing. Um, uh, my wife is a, uh, is a mathematics teacher, um, year 12, which in the US, of course, that's the uh, last year high school. I think it's the same here in Australia. Uh, I know there are differences because that leads me now to Ash. And uh, I grew up actually uh, in the United States for 22 years in New York and New Jersey area. And uh, I started uh, first as a, an engineering, electrical engineering, electronics engineering student. And I have my bachelor's and master's degree from uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology and the University of Medicine and Dentistry of Newark, uh, uh, New Jersey. And uh, I started my career actually at Linux Health Hospital, uh, designing uh, implantable prosthesis for those who lost their vocal cords due to cancer uh, and uh, developing a prosthesis that aids those people in making at least a voice that uh, people can hear and understand after a completely a surgical procedure that uh, cut their vocal cords due to uh, tumor. It was then after that that I was uh, basically headhunted by a company in Australia that was at the time a world-renowned group called the Nucleus Group, um, uh, which out of which the uh, a company called Telectronics uh, now became St. Jude at that time and Cochlea uh, for the hearing implant, which spun out of that group as well. 
And I started with this company uh, as part of the team that led and designed the very first uh, implantable defibrillator uh, in the world called The Guardian. And it was basically uh, uh, that company, Medtronic and uh, a company called CPI who later became Guidant, who is now part of Boston uh, uh, Scientific, uh, that have led the way in the world to making something at the time was just an idea. Uh, you know, just an idea for people who have sudden cardiac death. They can't be helped by an external defibrillator. We need something that's implanted in them that will recognize that they are about to die. There is about a minute uh, after which uh, they will uh, uh, unfortunately be dead unless there is a device in them that recognizes that they're in arrhythmia and get them out of it. Uh, a very, very uh, uh, worthwhile technology, which is now, of course, standard of care. Implantable defibrillator is a standard of care with millions of people around the world has it. That, of course, took me uh, to uh, be part of the, the uh, not only the engineering team, but after that, the clinical team that have uh, been part of commercializing this device worldwide. Uh, and, uh, and then after that, uh, I continued in my career in the area of uh, heart rhythm, uh, cardiac pacing, implantable defibrillators, and, and now the therapy or uh, ablation with atrial fibrillation, etc. After that, I've been very fortunate to go into the area of left ventricular assist devices with, a, with an Australian company that at the time was really at the forefront of the technology uh, of left ventricular assist devices, something that would basically take over part of the heart to keep patients alive who are waiting for a heart transplant. But then of course, donor hearts are scarce as we know, and the waiting time is long. And those patients would have either, either died waiting or remain in a quality of life that none of us would wish upon anyone and uh, really have them lead almost near a normal life until such time that they get a heart. It's been a privilege also to be involved in, in that and, and uh, working for VentraCore. VentraCore uh, did not continue, unfortunately, because of the global financial crisis and the need for uh, further finances yet they had a product that had extraordinary uh, clinical results, probably even compared to today, uh, 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 one of the best outcomes. And I then moved with, with, uh, to another organization that was the, very, the, the number one player in the world and still remains to be it's called Thoratec. Now it is part of Abbott uh, and still continues to provide the very best uh, in the world, left ventricular assist device, or basically a heart pump that takes over the heart. Uh, I then after that uh, continued my journey into something that was revolutionary. And that is a company that's in the heart, lung and liver transplant. And uh, basically, again, due to the scarcity of donor and due to the fact that, you know, for example, when it comes to heart transplants, we know that out of 10 hearts in the world, any, any place in the world would throw away six or seven of those hearts. 
in a, in a rubbish bin, and that's a and that's a fact that I think uh, most people might not realize, because those hearts might not fit the transplant cr criteria or be suitable for a transplant. This company uh, had a revolutionary system, and I'm very fortunate to have worked uh, with this company, uh, uh, and uh, have this system that would essentially turn hearts, for example, or lungs or liver uh, that are not suitable for a, a transplant and uh, manage them on these uh, technology, technology system that will turn them into perfectly acceptable hearts. So instead of throwing six or seven hearts out of 10, we actually can use maybe seven or eight hearts out of 10 and yes, unfortunately throw away two but that's two out of 10 that we can't use, or rather eight lives out of 10 or so that we can save uh, versus uh, the other way around. Uh, and uh, my positions with all these companies uh, went to from, of course, uh, clinical and marketing and commercialization to running uh, operations for these company in Asia Pacific, in the United States. Uh, it's, it, Etc. and in, in Japan and China, and, and uh, that has been largely my experience. I think all this has uh, prepared me for yet again, a revolutionary uh, uh, system that is with bionic vision technology, which basically would be uh, a system that would provide the only viable solutions for these patients who are born with an inherited retinal disease. And by the time they're in their 20, 30s or 40s, but eventually no question, uh, the disease basically, which is uh, part of an inherited retinal disease called retinitis pigmentosa will lead them to blindness. And there is nothing you can do to stop it. There is nothing you can do really to slow it down. And once uh, they uh, reach that, the, the late stages, they can't see anymore. Can you imagine you are born being able to see everything fine um, and then due to no fault of your own and due to this genetic disease, uh, uh, you then end up completely blind. You're not able to see anything bare or really light perception or actually no light perception. Debilitating and absolutely disheartening and this is something that would revolutionize uh, uh, and provide a treatment for those patients and give them independence uh, uh, to enable them to do so many things that they obviously lost the ability to do uh, and confidence and social interactions and many, many things I, I can tell you to see their, their loved ones and, and, and and to be able to operate and just restore some functional vision for them. Nothing in the world uh, today uh, offers that. Uh, gene therapy, stem cell therapy, you name it, is are decades away because this problem is very complicated. Um, you know, over 250 genes, individual genes are responsible. So, uh, you know, uh, even if you develop and you know a, a, a gene specific you know, a drug or technology that leaves all the other patients who, who obviously have other uh, uh, types of the genes that are untaken care of. 
with our device and with the system with bionic vision technology, we can uh, really take care of, um, uh, uh, of this problem, really regardless of the specific gene that are responsible for that. So it's a, it's a, it's a cause uh, that is, of course, I, I don't need to say how, how uh, very fortunate to be part of something like this. Uh, it resembles very much another Australian technology, which is cochlea for the uh, profoundly deaf. And um, we really uh, think of ourselves, of course, being in Australia and in Sydney, that we're kind of the cochlea for the eyes, <laughs> uh, rather than the, the, of course, the very successful uh, cochlea, uh, you know, implants for, for uh, those who are uh, profoundly deaf. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. And uh, there we go. That's where I am today. Well, thank you for sharing a lot about who you are and also that fascinating journey on developing your career, um, especially within these class three active implantable devices. So clearly the toughest of the tough when it comes to technologies within the med tech industry. Um, I wanted to touch base on a few points. So let me get to this one first. Whether it's cochlear or VentureCore or bionic vision technologies or the numerous other active implantable technologies that have either a strong affiliation or stemmed out of Australia, why does Australia or how, why are they known for being this active implantable hub within the world? Why does so much active implantable technology come from Australia or at least strongly affiliated? It's a very good question. Uh, why uh, did the uh, Wi-Fi, as you know, was invented in Australia? Uh, for example, uh, why? Well, um, <laughs> maybe we have a lot of clean air uh, that people can breathe a lot of clean air and 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 clears their mind, and they can think. Now, look, I'm I'm uh, of course uh, somewhat kidding, but look, you know, Australia. Uh, uh, has a, a very uh, solid, uh, uh, in my view, education system. Uh, people here are very much uh, motivated uh, to think outside of the square. And, uh, and uh, although we are far from distance, but we are very well connected, uh, Australians there, there is an, 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 and well-traveled. And, and the standard of um, engineering, for example, I can tell you, uh, having studied and, and graduated from the United States and uh, that the standard of, of engineers and the standard of technologies and the standards of medicine in this country is very, very high, up there with the very, very best. So I think uh, uh, being um, uh, very well connected, not by distance, but by, uh, uh, you know, travel and, 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 and very high standard of education. And, uh, and again, we are a migrant country. This country uh, really is there because of migration from all over the world. Uh, and, and, you know, best minds in the world uh, uh, don't only just go to the United States or, you know, or, or Europe, but they also migrate to Australia because of the lifestyle. So we, we do have the people that you've mentioned in the very, very beginning, we have the people uh, that have got uh, ideas that are entrepreneurial, that are very technically and clinically sound. Uh, 
and uh, and we actually do have a finance system that is very strong um, that has kept us uh, very well even during the global financial crisis uh, and kept us uh, you know uh, also very well through many of the financial cri- crises where we see that most of the world have gone into recessions and so on. Australia did not and was able to avert that. So uh, that's really what, what, why I think, you know, Australia is, uh, is, uh, is one of those countries uh, that are full of people with ideas, very high education and uh, technical and research uh, and development capabilities uh, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to engineering, when it comes to technology, and to be honest, some very clever people when it comes to finance and entrepreneurship. Hmm. Well, thank you for enlightening us on that. Then I wanted to go to the the point that you made earlier and what you can share on it, um, because it's going to touch base on this overarching or high level uh, topic of raising money as a med tech startup in Australia. You mentioned earlier in your career when you were at VentureCore, and even though it was an incredibly sound technology, overly impressive, as you mentioned, you alluded to the fact that it may have closed down due to the fact that it couldn't raise additional funding. Is that having anything to do geographically based in Australia? Or was it just circumstantial? Or was it the the times where the financial crisis did hit? Um, I know that you mentioned Australia is incredibly well connected with the world, as you did say. Um, But what about when it comes to funding? Yes. So I'll I'll just clarify that the VentureCore story uh, really is not that it couldn't uh, raise funds. It, it, It has raised and it had secured probably three times that of which the company needed to gain commercial approval in the United States. Uh, we had already gained commercial approval at that time, VentureCore in, in Europe and, and, and many places in Asia Pacific, but that the money that it had secured about two weeks before it was supposed to be transferred, uh, global financial crisis hit, and the money that was secured was secured through Lehman Brothers. So once, once that happened, uh, and Lehman Brothers, of course, as you uh, know, fell over during the global financial crisis. It found itself, of course, uh, having to start again to raise funds in the middle of a global financial crisis, and the rest is history. And in fact, the company was bought by an American company, and again, the American company paid nearly two-thirds of, of the purchase price of VentureCore, and uh, for the remaining one-third, one of its core investors fell and or, and or went into bankruptcy during the global financial crisis. And hence that also fell over and there was no choice other than really to, to close down the company and sell its assets and IP and, and, and so on. Hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, that's, that's just a ventricle story, but of course there are many, many other successful stories like Cochlea, like uh, ResMed, you know, top class companies uh, that are the number one on the world stage, whether it's in the field of, you know, uh, uh, hearing or sleep apnea, etc. you know, uh, that have made it and made it very, very well. I think that, uh, yes, being in Australia does have some limitation. You can imagine with a country of 22 million people today, that is, 
uh, it's still it, it it's a it's a small country when it comes to people uh, but not not geography as you can imagine we are land mass very close to the size of the United States uh, uh, in fact almost almost the same in many respects uh, but uh, very few people um, but well connected so of course the opportunities and the availability of money uh, uh, it is never going to be the same as, uh, you know, the United States and Europe. But nevertheless, as I said, there are very clever, uh, is a very clever financial system and, and, and very clever people who are entrepreneur. And, and just like there are entrepreneurs, there are also uh, venture capitalists and, 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 uh, and a very strong uh, stock exchange. Uh, and not only that, but a, a very ethical one laws that uh, you know are very strict and uh, and um, you know accounting uh, uh, laws and, and auditing laws that also makes the country a very ethical place to to uh, for example to list and uh, and uh, not only that but you know it's a place where you just couldn't get away with uh, with with a lot of things that you may uh, be able to do in other countries. And we have a, an incredibly stable political system. Uh, so uh, that, owes, I that all, I think, uh, uh, adds to a country that is um, uh, well-prepared uh, financially, uh, well-prepared when it comes to stability. Uh, it's also a country that you can run very uh, uh, top, you know, uh, quite a top class, I should say, clinical studies uh, and uh, get results that are very well done, uh, no biases. Um, and the clinical community here is, as I mentioned before, as they are up there with the very best in the world of being able to run, you know, clinical trials, feasibility studies, uh, proof of concept studies, and uh, you know, and collect data and 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 publish uh, in a very ethical way. That's another thing too, is that we we publish quite a lot, and the publication comes out of this country. People will tell you um, it's top class, yeah. accurate, and uh, and very well done. Um, you know, uh, unlike many other places in the world where you would really question the validity of, of the data, for example, and, and bias and things like that. So you mentioned that there was a multitude of factors, obviously, with VentureCore and that story. However, right now, and what you can share with Bionic Vision Technologies, once again, a very technology or engineering intense med tech, medical technology, class three device, um, obviously, would probably take a lot of capital to get it to where you need to eventually to commercialize it globally, et cetera. So if you can give a little bit of the historical story of how have you brought Bionic Vision Technologies as far as you have today, how much money have you raised once again, or how you raise it? Is it all coming from Australia? Have you constantly and consistently had to look outside of Australia because you've tapped the well, so to speak, in Australia? Tell us that story of Bionic Vision Technologies and where you are with that capital raise. Sure, certainly. Look, probably the story will also uh, confirm and tell you a little bit about uh, about the things we've been talking about. 
So in, in, uh, uh, in the year 2010, we had a prime minister here who uh, uh, wanted to uh, uh, again revive the Australian know-how and uh, Australia's ability to, uh, to come up with technologies that would make a serious impact in the world, uh, much like cochlear, etc. So in 2010, he had something, uh, and excuse the pun, it was actually called Vision 2020, uh, you know, meaning by 2020 that, that you know, Australia would, would have some technologies that would, you know, resolve and, and, uh, and, and um, provide something that is revolutionary that would take care of, of some of the problems, uh, you know, that the world uh, has and has not resolved for patients. One of which actually with vision, within, within the, in the field of vision and, uh, and things for the blind, for example, technology for the blind. So at that time, actually, uh, uh, the Australian government invested money uh, into this venture uh, of looking at what could possibly be done uh, in terms of technology to, to you know, give uh, functional vision for the blind or, or help the blind. You know, it was all centered around, for example, example uh, uh, vision. And, uh, and through that, really, uh, uh, Bionic Vision uh, Technologies, or at the time it was called Bionic Vision Australia, uh, looked at many, many things uh, through these grants, along with serious and most successful uh, partners and the best minds in Australia. Uh, center, for example, Center for Eye Research Australia and CSIRO, which is a, a, a top class, you know, uh, uh, research organization here in Australia, University of Melbourne, uh, the Barnicks Institute of, in, in Australia, uh, and, and honestly, many, many others that all got together through this grant and looked at what might be possible. And uh, out of that stemmed a technology uh, you know, or a system that looked like maybe this could be uh, uh, something that could be commercialized. So we started with the Bionic Eye System 1 or Generation 1, if you, if you will, that uh, we did a feasibility, uh, first a proof of concept actually study whether this thing can be done and can be safely uh, implanted. And uh, and through a study, we, came, we, we can see that it does work and it worked very well. Then after that in 2017, uh, uh, the company needed funding. So it had to look everywhere and uh, we had to look outside of Australia and through a company based in Hong Kong, we secured uh, uh, some funding that, was the, that then enabled us to go from a proof of concept study to a feasibility study with four patients uh, to look at, again, the uh, safety and efficacy of, of, of the system, what it can do for patients. Now, fast forward to today, which is roughly uh, uh, three years after that, and we have concluded a, a, uh, this study, this feasibility study, and we have that on uh, uh, two plus years, which will be published, which I can tell you that uh, just like the interim results of this study that have been published, uh, the data is extraordinary. It is, it's the performance and, and, and patient acceptance, acceptance and the clinical results um, uh, are just uh, 
terrific and the and uh, you know uh, no adverse uh, significant adverse events uh, or serious what we call a serious adverse events due to you know the surgery zero zero uh, serious adverse events due to uh, the system in patients this is this is and what the patients are able to do uh, with it is is extraordinary and as I said that that study was concluded um, uh, just about a few months ago and we are uh, uh, about to publish uh, these results and now uh, we find ourselves needing to raise uh, uh, money in order really to go into the pivotal trial in the United States, uh, Europe, uh, Australia, um, and uh, uh, China, for example, given that the prevalence of the disease is, is nearly four times that of the Western world. Those who are born with, with inherited retinal disease uh, are you know, one in, 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 in 1,000, for example, in China versus one in 4,000 in, in, in US and Europe. Wow. Uh, we find ourselves now needing that to really uh, conduct the last clinical trial that is between uh, uh, now and uh, gaining commercial approval uh, in the world and really providing this technology commercially to, you know, the, the, the patients who desperately need it and have no other option uh, and uh, give them some of their life back and their independence and their confidence uh, and their ability to socialize and their ability to get around. Uh, so that's where we are today. So with that need for raising a round of funding to go commercialize a technology like this, I'm assuming it's not a small amount of money. So when, when you're looking outside at this capital raising strategy at that amount, just give some clues if we now start focusing more in on the Australian approach. Um, do you look locally first and then you tap out? Or are there natural alignments where Australia, and I'm going to generalize here, um, will able or is able to get funding out of China and Japan just because you're on that side of the world, more so than maybe a US company would get money out of China or Japan or something like that. So is, is that a typical spot that you would go to or do you always go to the US first? And what are some of the pushbacks that maybe US or European investors may think about when they think about investing in Australia? I think the story is a little bit different today than what it normally would have been uh, if it wasn't for COVID. So what COVID did in a way is, although the medtech market is very hot and we all know that, but um, um, as you can imagine, uh, during COVID and lack of travel and so on and so forth, you know, it has someone made people, for example, within the US very, uh, 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 and, and in Europe, based on, on the many I talk to that want to invest in something that they can touch and see and travel to and, 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 and kind of within their, their, uh, their geography. Uh, and I've had that on, on many occasions that just, you know, people didn't have the appetite to go outside of where they are. For example, if you're in the US during COVID, you wanted to invest in, in US places. That, that is really a COVID issue. I think once that is gone, uh, we'll see things go back to what it normally would have been, which is you look in the US, of course, you, you look at Europe, you look at Japan and, 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 and other places. 
Our strategy at the moment, uh, because of all this, is that we are looking uh, here first, although we are, of course, very happy uh, to, to uh, entertain you know, investment coming from outside of Australia. Uh, but we are focusing uh, simply because of many uh, things, including, of course, again, you know, uh, the fact that we are an Australian company for uh, this uh, pr uh, private funding round in Australia. But of course, we are talking to people in the US as well about that. And our plan is to raise uh, roughly 12 million US in a private round now, which would be Series B. And then uh, within about 12 months, our plan is to list on the Australian Stock Exchange. Oh. Um, uh, Australian Stock Exchange is a very credible stock exchange, uh, very well managed, uh, you know, and again, uh, easier for us as a, an Australian company uh, to do that. But that does not mean that we aren't looking into the US and, and other places for funding. And in fact, we would, we will have, of course, uh, uh, doing the pivotal trial in the, in the US and, 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 and Europe and, and uh, gaining commercial approval that we uh, need to also be present in the US and we will be present in the US, of course, with the company, etc. cetera. Uh, we are truly aiming to be a global company. Uh, but that's where we find ourselves today with our focus. So uh, mainly we are looking at uh, lead investors and so on uh, here in Australia uh, to raise the 12 million that is of uh, you know, private funding today. And just to give context to the different economies, right? So we know how big Europe is and obviously fragmented with the individual countries. You have a big China, Japan's a big player, 128 million people with a country the size of California. And then you have 22 million people in a country the size of the entirety of the United States. Um, yeah. What does that venture capital environment feel like locally to Australia? I mean, you mentioned a very healthy economic system, a very strong financial system, but on the private money side, and especially when you're gearing it towards med tech, um, is it robust or, and I'll give you a quick anecdote. I, I, I was talking to somebody several months ago and they were building a med tech company in Iceland and they obviously wanted to look local just like everybody else, but they made a joke, which was actually serious. And they said, well, we've reached out to all three possible, um, venture companies who could actually invest in us. And now we have to look outside of Iceland because we're tapped out. Uh, when you look at a company, country like Australia, is there a robust venture economy there? I would say uh, yes, but with, of course, the limitation of the fact it's only 22 million people country. Uh, but it is fairly robust. And uh, we have some very clever and excellent venture capital groups here in Australia that have invested in, uh, in many technologies. In fact, we have a robust group that invested in some of the uh, you know, uh, uh, initial technologies with left ventricular assist devices, and of course, the you know the cochlear implants and ResMed and so on. Uh, you know, initially, uh, and now you know these companies are world uh, uh, renowned. So it is fairly robust, but of course, 
uh, like the example you use in Iceland, at, uh, you know, at some stage, a lot of companies have to look outside of Australia, uh, you know, for the breadth and depth and, 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 and just a quantum of venture capital uh, groups that are available outside of Australia, like the United States and Europe, you know, and Japan and, 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 and uh, China and some of these places. No, no question, but it's fairly robust and, and those uh, uh, venture capital groups in Australia, although few, uh, quite a few, but very strong and, and knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, uh, I would say well-established and well-connected also. And is it one of those things where, at least here in the United States, because we have such a robust venture economy, um, I talk to entrepreneurs regularly who have raised money before. This, this, this wouldn't be their first time. And even though they've raised money out of med tech or health tech-centric investors, um, they and their next round consistently find new ones that they didn't even know about before. Um, and that's because it is such a robust investor uh, economy here in the US. In Australia, is it something similar or uh, it may not be as extreme as Iceland, but you know, as a tenured med tech executive in Australia, is it one of these things where there's 20 health tech, med tech focused VCs and you either know them or you don't. And when you're done with them, you gotta look outside of Australia. I completely concur with that. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, robust, but uh, I'll tell you what, in Australia, uh, few, you either know them, that's it. That, no, no, no. You, 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 there, I don't think there is such a thing as you wouldn't know them. So okay. here in Australia, <laughs> you, 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 you would know them. Okay. And uh, it's not like the, the US uh, or in Europe, uh, I can imagine, or even in, in, in other places. Uh, here you'd know them, okay. and uh, once you have explored them, you, you've got to go outside because they're not, we're not talking hundreds here. Right. And that leads me to my next question then, once again, an overgeneral statement, but being based in Australia, once you've tapped that local venture network and it's time to look outside of Australia, are there typical geographies that have more synergy and interest in partnership and relationships with Australia than others? For example, um, is it just a natural, obvious thing to do looking in the United States or is it you're going straight to Japan and China first or are you going to Singapore or those APAC countries because they align more with your maybe time zones um, or are you going to Europe? Is there natural relationships geographically speaking with Australia? Yes, I think, uh, uh, but it's not a geographical one. I think we are very much, uh, you know, how shall I say the word tight and, and, and very well connected to the United States. Uh, so geography here doesn't, uh, you know, only uh, not distance, I should say, but geography, yes, uh, the preference is to go to the US, uh, uh, to go to Europe. Uh, yes, you could go to uh, China, but 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 you know, or or Singapore, or some of these places. But we are very well uh, and much more aligned, uh, I would say, when it comes to uh, medtech and medtech investments to the United States. Because naturally, if you have something that is revolutionary that that will make a a significant impact, uh, your number one market will always become and will always be in the United States. 
So uh, we have a, a, a tight fit uh, and a natural affinity and knowledge about uh, uh, the US probably more than quite a lot of other places. So it, it's not because we're, we're in Australia, then uh, it's more in China and it's more in, you know, in, in Japan or, or, or whatnot. It's, it would be mostly the US and Europe. Okay. And um, with a class three implantable device like Bionic Vision Technologies, I'll use, uh, I'll be bold and, and use definitive statements like impossible. Um, I do a lot of work in Israel, for example, and Israel is a very small country, right? The size of New Jersey almost. Um, there's a lot of R&D innovation that takes place in Israel. But in order to develop a product in Israel, clinically test a product in Israel, and then successfully commercialize it only in Israel, I'll use the word impossible. There's, there has to be a saturation point where they've done all that they can do in Israel and they have to look outside to China, to Australia, to Europe, to the United States, whether it's for clinical trials or simply to commercialize. Can you develop, clinically test, and commercialize successfully only in Australia, a technology like Bionic Vision Technologies? Clinically develop, test, uh, and do a clinical study, not only it, it, it's not impossible, it's actually very attractive to do it in Australia up until that point. Uh, and, and, uh, but to commercialize only in Australia? No, just like you would face in Israel. Uh, and I'm very familiar with, with Israel. I used to uh, manage this part of the world. Um, uh, no, you, you just simply have to go outside of Australia as you would uh, with Israel to the United States and the rest of the world. But in terms of develop and, and clinically test once again and run clinical trials, it's, it's, it's absolutely best to do it in Australia uh, because of the, the, the uh, very high standard, as I said, of medicine and running clinical trials here. Uh, it, it's not very complex like in some other places. Uh, and, and you will get uh, uh, data that is real, that is honest, um, a lot of integrity doing these uh, trials. Uh, but commercializing, no. It is, as with Israel, impossible to just commercialize and survive only uh, uh, to this 22 million people country, as in Australia. So we must get out to the rest of the world, the United States, Europe, China, uh, uh, as such. Ash, I, being on this side of the world and you being on the other side of the world and down there, I could have 10,000 more questions just because I'm incredibly curious and this has been fascinating. But I, I wanted to say thank you so much for taking your time in your early morning on a Thursday and my evening that's wrapping up here on Wednesday um, to speak with us, to share your story, to share and enlighten the rest of the world who's listening to this on what life is like as an entrepreneur developing a class three implantable technology in Australia and having to capital raise for that. Um, so I want to say thank you again for your time. This is MedTech Money, where we demystify raising capital. Thank you, Ash. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. 
If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.